Everybody ready for some word today? Come on, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. And let's, let's talk today about uh, the righteousness of God in Christ. Uh, our, our text here reads in verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For He, that's the Father, made Him, that's the Son, Jesus, who knew no sin, He lived a sinless, perfect life, to be sin, in other words, He didn't just carry it, but He became it, uh, to be sin for us, that's Jesus on the cross, sin, he, 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 he at that point was a sinner, though he didn't commit the sin himself, he became a sinner by nature, as he bore our sin, he became the curse, alright, he became sin for us, that we, who were the sinners, right, by nature, might become what Jesus used to be, prior to him going to the cross and what he now is again, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So whenever a person then is in him, in Christ, they are called by God righteous or the righteousness of God. All right? And we've talked about what this means. This means right standing with God. It, it, it is a, a spiritual condition where individuals are declared by God to be just. They are declared right. They are in right standing with God. The whole world outside of the Lord is wrong with God. All right? it, 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 that's, that there's sin, unrighteousness, guilt, shame. It produces all sorts of manifestations. It'll wreck a marriage. It'll wreck, wreck someone's health. It'll ruin their finances. In every area of life, death is a real tangible force that sucks out the good things out of a person's existence. But when a person then becomes legally justified before God where they can, without shame, without fear, without guilt, stand before God with a smile, head held up high, shoulders back, not in arrogance but in thankfulness, and say, I'm right with you. Everything's good. Oh, happy day. My sins are washed away. I I stand legally right with God. I'm I'm innocent of all guilt and shame and sin because of what Jesus did for me, my acceptance of Him. I am in Christ, and now by heaven's standard, by heaven's declaration, I'm right. You are right with God. Amen. Okay? Now, 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 this is true, and this is true of you, even if you did something stupid this morning. Even if you sinned. In the lobby. I mean, <laughs> now, I don't excuse that. Or we don't make light of and say, hey, we, we shouldn't, we're not taking responsibility for our actions. We are taking responsibility for our actions. But I tell you this, we're not trusting in our responsibility to forgive us of those actions. We're trusting in the finished work of the cross, the, 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 the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. And that gives us a standing with God that is a constant it's not in flux from day to day, okay? I don't have a bad day and I wake up the next morning and I'm wrong with God again. I lost my righteousness with God. No, because my righteousness is not found in me. It is found in Him. 
So I wake up in the morning and I may, I may feel like a rascal, but that's where I need to stand up and thank Him for His forgiveness. Amen. Because I, I remain constantly right with God. Now, the relationship between righteousness and actions is a one-way street. Meaning this, a right relationship with God produces right actions. But right actions do not produce a relationship with God. Okay, that, That's why the person who's trying their hardest, working at it real strong, they might be further from God than ever. Because there is a submission to the righteousness of God where we cease trying to do it ourselves. We acknowledge that we cannot, that we fail every time, and we submit to His righteousness and say, I believe in what Jesus did for me. Now, that's not only true. I'm going to my end, but I'll come back again. That's not only true for a person who needs to be saved, they need to be born again. That's true from day to day in how we live our lives. Okay? How I live. Say, man, the Christian life is really difficult to live. It's hard to live by the standards of God. No, no, it's not hard. It's impossible. Everybody listening to me? You're going to fail. That's why we go to a dependent life on the power of the resurrected Christ inside of us to empower us to live. And our standing is, is then, again, not in flux from day to day based upon perfect thought, perfect action, perfect obedience, perfect no. It still remains in the land of faith where I trust Him for my standing with Him every day. Okay? Say, is it okay? Does it matter then if I sin? Of course, sin is a destructive force. Absolutely it matters. But your sin today does not put you in hell tomorrow. Hmm. That might need more explanation later, but maybe we will. Uh, How many know laws can curb behavior to a degree? They do. I mean, I slow down. Only for that reason. (laughs) If there wasn't a law, I would drive much faster. Is anybody with me on that? See, see, and we're generally pretty, you know, good-hearted people in here. And yet we would, yeah. I don't know why my car says like 140 or whatever it says on that speedometer. Certainly God intended for me to test that. (laughs) However, there are laws, right? And it backs us off. It doesn't work completely, right? Some of you. <laughs> I know we have several police officers in our church. And uh, please forgive me for this. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't work completely. It does curb behavior. But how many know if we really want to change a, a society, it's not going to be done by just having perfect laws. Because they're going to be broken, right? There's going to be. The way you change society is by changing the hearts of men and women. The way that, the way that God king, God's kingdom operates is not just by a set of rules and laws and everyone abide by it. Because that doesn't work. 
it'll curb a little behavior out of fear of punishment and so forth. But I tell you, the way that God's kingdom is and how it is so wonderful is because God changes our hearts. He changes the want to. He changes the desire to live right and be, be with Him. But anytime you hear about, about uh, Jesus plus Jesus and, you should run. You should run from that. Meaning, meaning your relationship, your salvation, your eternity. Yes, you do need to accept Jesus and you need to do these three things. And you need to also uh, add these things to it. Run away from that because you've just entered into human religion. Okay? And it does not access the righteousness of God. It taps into the righteousness of man. Self-righteousness, which fails every time. All right? And so we always want to run from that. Not to say we, we don't run from directives. The Lord still commands us things. The Lord still tells us what to do. He still speaks to us. The Lord, there is still order in the kingdom. He is, Jesus is still called Lord. All right. We understand that in church, but in society, our society, we don't have lords, but master. He's the commander. He's the one who's in charge. That's still a part of the kingdom, right? The king's dominion, the king's domain. He still has a right to rule and reign. And so we do live a life of submission to him. Everybody with me? So uh, well, we're, not, we're not talking about just some chaotic, free life <laughs> where we all do whatever we want. Now, now, now listen, uh, I woke up this morning with, with, with some of these thoughts. But there is, if you would consider your life, I say I don't believe, I, I, don't, I don't believe that there's time, that there's enough time for me to do my thing, my kingdom, my plan for my life, and God's. I don't believe I have the capacity, the gifting, the literal time to do that. I have time to seek God's kingdom first, and there's time for Him to add things to me. But how the Lord works in this is kind of like this. I picture like two roads, like a road here, like a highway. This is my plan. All right. This is this is my plan for my life. What I want to do. And over here, we've got another road. This is the Lord's plan for my life. It is the the Father's business. It is His plan for my life. If I'm over here doing my thing, I'm never going to get to the majority of what God wants. I may attend. Uh, you know, I may occasionally give a. A wink to God's will and His plan and His goodness. But I'm going to be occupied. I'm going to be filled. My thoughts are filled. I'm filled likely with the world. All that kind of stuff over here. Right? If I'm over here though, in the middle of God's will, and He is the center of it all. He is the very focus of my existence. I love Him and love His presence and I'm seeking the kingdom of God. Right? Over here, see the way this operates is... God's plan for my life is not that my will be irrelevant or my desires be totally discarded. Because if when I'm in His plan, He specifically speaks to me concerning my heart, my desires, my will. See, when I'm, in, when I'm cruising down the highway of God's plan for my life, I look over and say, hey, I'd like one of those. And the Lord says, yep, go ahead. And I, hey, I'd like that. All right, you can have that too. Oh, I'd like one of those. Yep, the answer is yes. 
See, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. So living a life submitted to the will and plan of purpose of God for your life is not just about being, man, it's just not fun. I just don't get anything I like. No, you actually get everything you want. You do. And he promised you that. He said, I'll give you whatever you want. But where's the main focus of our existence? Where's the, what's the main focus of our, of our attention? There's not time to be over there. There's plenty of time to be over here. You know, when you're over here, your life isn't even used up as you get older. Because there's no limit to it. It's not like you, you know, I drank the orange juice and now it's gone. It's like I used my life and it's all used up and it's gone now. No, no, it doesn't work that way. You increase through life. And the, 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 your life is the ultimate bottomless drink. It never ends. It never runs out. You never diminish it by using it up. It keeps expanding and growing and more of God and His plan are poured into you. Ha <laughs> ha. Glory to God. That was bonus material. I wondered this morning, that's not even going to come out, is it? There's no place for it. There it came out. Uh, and so, uh, again, we're talking about being righteous, doing things God's way. We're talking about the righteousness of God that is found in Christ. You know, one thing that you're not going to hear on the, at the judgment seat of Christ is, uh, hey, welcome to heaven. You earned it. <laughs> huh? I don't want to talk about what I earned. I don't really want to talk about outside of Christ what I deserve. Because you know what you know how that looks. Uh, well, sick-filled, poverty-ridden, depressed, short life, go to hell forever. <laughs> or we can talk about mercy. We can talk about the love of God. We can talk about redemption. And then, then what, what does that look like? Well, it looks like blessing. It looks like health. It looks like strength. It looks like uh, joy and peace and eternity in glory. Eternity in God, in His glory forever. So I'm not real fond of sometimes, you know, even the language. Well, you deserve it. You know, just wanted to... Just wanted to say this to you or bless you with this. You deserve it. Hmm. How about I'll just receive it and be thankful and uh, say, no, I, didn't, I don't deserve it, but thank you and praise God for His mercy. You, you know the difference between mercy and grace? You know, sometimes we kind of use them interchangeably, but mercy means I don't get what I deserve. Grace means I get what I don't deserve. Everybody with me? Sin has a repercussion, and I've been washed, I've been set free from that. <sighs> Glory to God. You know, I don't deserve anything, but grace is there. And I get the goodness of God and the grace of God. I get His many blessings because of what He did. Praise God. That's why, the, you know, my Bible tells us over in Hebrews chapter 4 that we should come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. Praise God. You know, uh, if you read over in the book of Ephesians, and uh, the sixth chapter, one of the subjects talked about there is the armor of God. 
talks about a spiritual warfare. Uh, that's, that's how we're not battling with flesh and blood. And he tells us to put on the whole armor of God. We're not going to go through that today. But you know one of those aspects of the armor is called the breastplate of righteousness. You know, and just like a soldier's army, the, the Roman soldier, what's, what's being described there, uh, they had all the physical components of that armor uh, to protect them, the head and the chest and, the, you know, got the shield and got the sword, all the components of that armor. Uh, the breastplate, of course, protects those inner organs, protects the heart, yeah, you know, and, and likewise, this is in a spiritual sense, the breastplate is called righteousness. In other words, the breastplate of right standing with God keeps my heart pure, keeps my heart safe from all the attacks of the enemy. And you know what the enemy wants to get at most in your life? Say so he wants to take out my, he wants to hit my finances. He wants to hit my marriage. He, well, he wants to hit all that stuff. But you know what? He wants to get your heart. He wants to mess with you on the inside because if you can get messed up on the inside, it's only a matter of time till you're messed up on the outside, right? And, and what, what protects us in here? It is our right standing with God. It is the knowledge of what the blood of Jesus has done for us, how he has protected us, how he has given us right standing with him. You see, what would be the opposite of that? It would be living with guilt, you know, the Bible word is uh, condemnation. You know what that means? That means you feel guilty. You, you feel guilty. You feel bad about, every, uh, about your life, about things that you've done, about your choices. And it's this, it's this attitude of shame where you feel shamed. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the scriptures tell us that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. No shame. I'm not real fond of, of uh, when I hear this, uh, when I hear individuals saying, shame on you, shame on you. Immediately, what comes out of me when I hear that is, shame on Jesus. Not shame on me, shame on Jesus. He already took that for me. I don't have to be shamed now. You know, I, I, now and then I drive down the road and I see these labor disputes. You know, you see those, and the guys stand out in front of businesses with those big signs that say "Shame on whoever that business is." And I thought we should do a series. <laughs> we'll get people to stand out the road that says "Shame on Jesus." <laughs> oh, that'll mess people up, won't it? <laughs> They'll be all confused, and I, I, maybe get some negative press. I don't know. Do you understand where we're going here? Jesus on the cross in our place. Did he do anything wrong? Oh, no, but we did. But he took our shame. See, all this goes back to this. I want to live my life. You're supposed to live your life without a sense of guilt, without this constant burden of feeling like I'm a bad person, uh, without this fe these feelings of unworthiness. In yourself? Yeah, but you're not in yourself. You're now in Christ. Amen. And it takes a little bit of time sometimes to get what the reality is of who we are in Christ to be settled in our thinking, to carry the mentality of a resurrected being. 
I've been born again. I'm risen from spiritual death. And now I have right standing with God. No more fear or shame or guilt. None of this can be a part of my life any longer. Why? Because Jesus took it for me. I know this is the simplicity and basics of the gospel. And you think, how many times do we need to hear this? Well, until we stand strong. Until we live bold and confident and fearless. Until that righteous revelation is worked out into righteous activity. Huh? I mean, so many people, they wonder will, things like, will God help me? Will He answer my prayer? Will He heal me? Will he, will he do this? Listen, you're right with God. Everything He is belongs to you. All that He has belongs to me. I'm in the Father's house. I'm not in the, even in the servants' quarters. I'm a son in the house. I'm in the family. I access the fridge because it's there. But the absence of this knowledge makes us feel like, and so many Christians feel like a little bit on the outside. I hope the Lord will let me. And in, in, He's your dad. Everything's good in your relationship with Him. If, if you're saying because of Jesus it is, and not because of my perfect actions it is. And so again, we see that the armor of God is a, is, is, is a big deal. And righteousness is a big part of that. All the parts of the armor, if you think about it, you know, the, the salvation, you know, helmet of salvation, the truth, peace, the sword, faith, all these things, uh, what are they? They're not performances, but they're spiritual qualities about a person. They're beliefs. It's not about I performed. So when we have the breastplate of righteousness, it's not about I performed righteousness, no, it's I believed in His righteousness in me. That allows me to pick up my sword and do some stuff. Look with me at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. See, trying to earn our right standing with God does not protect our heart. It's not, that's not the shield. That's not the breastplate of righteousness. But believing in what he did is. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6 reads this way. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. All right. Now, so let me ask you a question. If you've received Christ, how did you receive him? How did the anointed one come into your life? How did he enter into your life? Well, uh, we all know the answer to that. Was we put our faith in God's grace alone, right? We trusted in that Jesus died for our sins, was raised from the dead. We believed on him, and he came into our life. So as we received him, as we received him, what? So, everybody still with me? What does the scripture say? So walk in him. How, how do I walk in him? The same way I received Him. So I don't receive the Lord one way and then revert to a different method to walk that out. In other words, I received the Lord by faith, but now, now that I'm saved, I've got to what? I've got to what? I've got to do the same thing. 
In other words, I believe that He did it for me. Now the way I walk this out comes from the same motivation, the same revelation. I live day to day based upon what Jesus did for me on the cross. That is the source of my fellowship and walk with God, not how good I am today. As I received Him, I walk in Him. So lest you have burden upon burden and requirement you know, placed on your life, we've left the way we received Him. We've gotten into our own efforts then. Hallelujah. And so, today, again, you're just as right with the Father as Jesus is if your righteousness is found in Christ. Why is this hard? Why is this difficult? Why do some not admit to total righteousness? I said this at the end of last week, because it takes faith. It takes faith, and people want to live by what they see and what they feel. And people will tell you, well, I, I, I can't receive the Lord. I just don't deserve that. That's the point. You're right. You don't deserve it. So receive Him, because it's a gift. Amen. Amen. That's like, that's like me, if it, if, it, if it were my birthday. Just, you know, just suppose. And someone gave me a gift. I, I can't receive that. I mean, I didn't even pay for that. Well, that's the point. It's a gift. You receive it based on the generosity of the giver, not by the worthiness of the receiver. Now, what about, everybody, can, can we go a little bit further with this? I, I, I want to kick over sacred cows. Um, what about, and some of you may know nothing about this, but I tell you this is, this is out there, and I, I want to dispel it, okay? You say it's okay now, wait till I tell you. <laughs> because I don't want anything to water down your boldness, your confidence, your peace with God, your right standing in His, in his eyes. I don't want anything to water that down, okay? What about this idea that we have a dual nature? A dual nature, two natures at once. And this is sometimes taught, okay, that when you receive Christ, you receive His righteousness, but now you have righteousness and you also maintain a sin nature. So you got this dichotomy thing going on there and righteousness and sin. And some will teach and acknowledge these scriptures from Second Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 5, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. But we, they'll say you also have a sin nature. And you'll hear this talked about. In present tense, present tense language, people will talk about, believers will say, what about our sin nature? They'll say, well, the reason Christians struggle and the reason are, we are tempted reason we people deal with things and make wrong decisions is because of our sin nature. I think that is utterly confusing and completely disenabling for a person to live holy and live right with God. And I don't think that the Scripture... I've been studying this for a while. I do not see this as a reality in Scripture that you as a believer have a righteous nature and a sin nature at the same time. Because that totally saps the life 
out of everything uh, that, that we're talking about. It's like the person who prays, oh, in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the, on the authority of the word of God, in the name of Jesus, I release God's power and healing anointing into you. In Jesus' name, if it be your will. How many know you just undid everything you prayed? Hmm. It's like the person, you come and say, pray for me, I've got this problem in my life. And, and you pray and you minister and you rebuke and bind and yada, 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 and everything good. And they walk away and they say, my heart problem. And they say, my cancer. My, how many know they just undid everything you prayed? Because they just with their words went out and pulled it back and said, this is who I am. We've got to identify with Christ in His resurrection, not in this fallen world or any curse that's in the earth. What are we going to say about ourselves? And it can't be both. It, it, it is, if you can't tell, troubling to me. When I see individuals make strong, bold statements of faith and then undermine them right at the end. Give a little way out. Just a little opt out. Just in case God is not who He says He is. Just in case God is not strong and mighty and faithful to do exactly what He says He will do. When will someone rise up and jump out of the boat and say either God, either Jesus told me to come and He's the real deal or I'm going under. But I'm not going to play it safe. I was at a I was at a at a meeting one time, and they were they were calling for people to come and receive prayer for healing and and various things. and And I thought, good, this is good. And they and they made statements. They said, we need to believe God for. For, for miracles. We need to believe God for Him to do these things. And I was all about that and thinking all this good stuff. And then after all these positive statements, everything they said, then, then they, said, and when, they, they said, and when something happens, you know, we're not going to act like it's all us. And if nothing happens, we're not going to take the blame for that either. And that sounded like it made a whole lot of sense to a lot of people. I thought, oh, I just wanted to barf. You might not understand that, but I think you just sapped the faith out of everyone by giving a maybe it won't. Why would you say maybe it won't? Why would you say it might and it might not? Where did Jesus talk that way? Where did he tell someone, yeah, you know, it might work. And if so, you know, praise God. And if it doesn't work, you know, don't worry about it. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or anything. Just He just didn't talk like that. Hallelujah. Oh, well, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, you were all with me a few minutes ago. Are you still okay? Ephesians, the fourth chapter. So, I, so this dual thing. Am I both righteous and unrighteous at the same time? Am I right with God? Because that's what that means. I'm right with God, and I'm not right with God. That's what that means. Ephesians chapter 4 is one of these places that seems to, uh, to some infer this. 
In verse 21 it reads, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness." And so the scripture here, now speaking to New Testament believers, talks about an old man and a new man. And so we should put on the new man, put off the old man. Does that tell us, is this scripture communicating that we have both right now, present tense, an old guy and a new guy? Well, if you look at it, he says, verse 22, that you put off concerning your former, what? What's that word? Conduct. Put off concerning your former conduct. Put that up on the screen as I'm reading, if you would. Your former conduct, the old man. What's the old man? Conduct, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your what? Of your mind. So what is the old guy? The old man that some would say still exists, we're both old and new, dead and alive, right and not right, all at the same time, dual nature, you're a sinner and you're a saint, all at the same time. No, the old guy has to do with how we think. In other words, the old man who was crucified with Christ, Paul said that, right? My old man's crucified with Christ. The old man who was crucified with Christ and therefore dead, he left some, some habits around, didn't he? In other words, he has, the old guy has taught us, who's the old guy? It's your, the spirit that was crucified with Christ, your, your, your spirit that's been born again. He has left around some habits, some ways of thinking, some worldly thoughts, worldly approaches. And what is Paul saying? Concerning the way that you think, concerning the way you conduct yourself, how you act, put that off. Why? Because that's not who you are now. That's dead. That doesn't mean we forgot about everything. Don't you wish? I gave my life to Jesus and my memory is wiped. Awesome. Except for maybe your education, your you know, skill set to do your job. <laughs> But of every sinful thing, every, it's, it's gone. Well, the thing is, it's not gone. You, st- you still have memory of it, don't you? The Lord has no record of it because He blotted it out. But we have, we have memory of it, and we have practices that we've established in our lives as being the norm. Those didn't all start over from scratch the day you got saved. So what do we do? We put off the old guy, and we are renewed where? In the spirit of our mind. It doesn't mean I'm now part sinner and part saint. It just means I have memories. It means I have things that I've established as habits in my life. And now in Christ, I constantly need to put on the new guy. Who? That's who I am in Jesus. That's I'm right, right with God because of the blood of Christ, because of the work of the Lord Jesus. I need to put on His way of doing things, get His thoughts, get His thinking. Uh, Romans 12 calls this the renewing of the mind, right? That's still a reality, okay? And so 
uh, we are to deny the lusts that were taught us by our old, that old self when they were still alive. And, and, but this is the good news. The Lord wants us to grow and mature and develop and move forward. But it's interesting how he, he does this from a position of fullness. He gives us the whole package deal. He gives us all of his love and grace and power and makes us totally right with him. Not partially right. Not you're on the way. Keep trying. You might make it. No, totally right with him from day one. This is an outstanding work of grace. From day one. And from that position, he constantly reminds us of how we're accepted and loved and blessed and, and, and all these things. So we can live from that place of fullness. Not this place of I'm partway there, halfway there, most of the way there. And I'm going to keep working and climbing the ladder and working hard. So that someday I might totally arrive. Someone said, well, what about the flesh? What about the flesh? You have a few more minutes? If you say no, I'll probably keep going anyway. But not much longer. So what about the flesh? I've thought about the flesh a lot. That's probably not a good thing, huh? (laughs) But the flesh when it comes to Scripture. What about the flesh? And, And maybe I'll talk about, for those of you Bible scholars out there, Romans 7 later. And, and if, if you go there and you think, well, what about that? Uh, and if you don't know, just whatever. You can read it now. But I'm, I'm telling you, just from a positional standpoint, what I'm saying I does, uh, does not contradict that at all. Okay? But what about the flesh? You know, the word flesh in the Scripture is used of many different things. Let me give you a few references. Uh, uh, you don't need to take time to turn. But the flesh is spoken of in different ways in one sense, it's just the physical body. Okay, Galatians 2.20, uh, Paul says, the, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's just talking about living in the physical body as far as in the flesh. He's not talking about sin there, is he? He's saying, I'm living in the flesh and I'm living by faith. He's not talking about a sinful thing. But sometimes we talk about the flesh and it's sinful. And contextually, sometimes that's correct. But it can be talking about the physical body. According to Galatians 3.3, 3, it can just be talking about like human effort. He, he said, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? By the what? By the flesh. That's your own human effort trying to obtain something from God that only comes by faith. All right. The, the, the flesh is used just speaking of our life on earth as contrasted with that in heaven. Hebrews chapter Uh, 5 and verse 7 speaks of Jesus and says, who in the days of his flesh, in the days of his flesh. Now watch. Was it talking about Jesus being in sin? No. So flesh is not always a sinful thing, uh, but sometimes it does. Romans chapter 7 and verse 5. Well, let me me back up. The flesh can speak of natural abilities. 2 Corinthians 10.3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. All right, we're going to use the, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshy or they're not carnal. Uh, it, can, it can speak of sin nature. Romans 7.5, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit unto death. When we were in the flesh, it's talking about when we were still unregenerate. It's prior to the new birth. It's a sin nature. 
Okay? We talk about sometimes how people will prophesy or something in the flesh. Right? Well, what does that mean? You know, Old Testament talks about people prophesying out of their own heart and not from the Spirit of God. Uh, it's people doing things outside of the direction, the inspiration, the revelation that comes from God. We'll sometimes call that uh, working or operating in the, in the flesh. Look at Galatians 5. We'll, we'll finish here. Galatians chapter 5. See, I'm not real fond of, and I've used this in the past, I'm not real fond of the phrase, the nature of the flesh. And the reason I don't like it so much is because I do not want to view myself or the body of Christ as having dual nature. What's natural? What's normal? What is by nature right with you? If you've been born again, then it is the righteousness of God in Christ. It is doing things God's way, being submitted to Him, carrying out works of rights. That's normal. That's my nature. When I talk about the flesh, well, what am I talking about? Just the fact that I'm on the earth? Just the fact that I have a a physical body? Or am I talking about a sinful condition that, according to the Scripture, died with Jesus? And I want to keep it in that realm right up here. So I don't see myself as a dual dude trying to live right, but I've got this sin ever present with me. No, that sin died when I came to the Lord Jesus. That's why Romans 8 trumps Romans 7. Okay. Galatians chapter 5, this talks about the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. Verse 24, and and those who are Christ's have, everybody say have, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Those who are Christ, what have, what have they done with the flesh? They have crucified it. Well, I know some people who it sure doesn't look like they did. And they say they're a Christian. It sure doesn't look like they crucified it, and yet Paul said they have. When did they? When they made Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life. When they trusted in His righteousness and not their own. What happened? Their flesh was crucified. It died at that very moment. We still remember it, don't we? We still have to have our minds renewed to think right in accordance with what actually happened. But there was a death of the flesh nature, if you will, when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's why I, according to the Scripture, our standing with God, we can call it this, totally righteous. Not, half, not halfway righteous. Not partially righteous. So you're saying all Christians do everything totally righteous. That's not what I said at all. Hmm. But our living out proceeds from a being in. Our expression of God's nature and His character and His love comes from a position of being set free from that stuff and living in liberated joy, blessing, bliss, favor, God's love, His righteousness. I'm accepted. I can live from that place. Not I'm going to constantly work towards it my whole life. Amen. Say, well, isn't God still working in us? 
Isn't there, isn't there a work that's being perfected in us? Yes, this. <laughs> so are we all done? Are we all totally wrapped up? Bow on top? Yes. And our knowledge of that produces an outworking of that. So that our actions reflect our position in Christ. And our thoughts are the thoughts of God. Amen. Wow, I almost could, I almost could go for a while now. We're just, isn't this, this is, this is, a, this is some, some stuff here. Praise God. Amen. Well, hopefully it's been, been good enough to get you thinking. And don't throw any stones at me because it's my birthday. <laughs> if for no other reason. But ponder these things and consider them. Study the scriptures for yourself. See how God sees you. Understand his view towards you. I am so thankful, thankful that it's not measured according to my goodness. And I choose to believe it. I'm accepted in the beloved. Amen. Father, we love you today. We're so thankful for your faithfulness. Oh, your overwhelming acceptance and love for us your people. Thank you. Thank you. We didn't earn it, but Lord, you have made us worthy. You have create. you have made us acceptable. And Lord, we put our faith once again, not only in our receiving salvation, but in our walking this out from day to day. We are glad in what you have done. We accept it. We believe it. Thank you that these things are so. In Jesus' name. Thank you for the revelation of truth in everyone's heart. For it makes us free. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. Amen.